everybody. Welcome into this episode of In Session. So happy to be back with uh, with the lovely Danielle E. Gaines this week. How are you, my friend? Hi, good. You know, nice to be with you. Really? <laughs> kind of sounded like you didn't mean that. Now, normally Kelsey Lewis would be with us this week and every week. But uh, there's some beer stuff going on in Annapolis, and it's she's kind of tied up. So, uh, do you have any updates that you can tell us about? Yeah, well, I have a dispatch from Kelsey. Hey, oh. <laughs> um, she's in the hearings now. They're expected to go for quite some time tonight. I think one panel alone um, had more than 100 witnesses for one of these brewery bills. So, we have, of course, what we've talked about on in session before the Comptroller's Reform on Tap bill, which would uh, essentially get rid of most of the state's limitations on breweries and brewery tap rooms that would kind of open up the industry quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have another bill uh, that's a big talker in Annapolis, which would undo some of the changes that they did last year, which loosened the brewery restrictions to a degree in order to woo Guinness to come to Baltimore County for their brewery, their Guinness Blonde Brewery. I thought they were coming already, no? Yes, yeah. but they needed, um, so last year we needed to change the state law in order to accommodate Guinness. Ah. And what happened there is that the uh, the rules for all other breweries and tap rooms were loosened to some degree, but what that did was kind of highlight how restrictive Maryland's laws already were. Mm-hmm. So there's been this uproar that more should be done to to allow tap rooms and breweries to achieve their full ability um, with the population of craft beer and craft beverages. So I wanted to ask you this because I saw Kelsey's tweets uh, before we came in and there was something you had just mentioned too. There are like a, over a hundred people that are gonna talk or speak or something along those lines. And it's it's we're taping this full disclosure at five o'clock on Friday afternoon. What happens? We, like, lead, we lead exciting lives. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Hello weekend. Uh, how do they do this? Because they they can't get through everybody. How does this typically work? Oh no, they get through everybody. Yeah, yeah. I've no, the, I've sat through Friday afternoon hearings in the General Assembly that will go until midnight or one a.m. or two a.m. Right. There, well, there won't be resolution tonight, do we think? Um, no. Usually, the no committee votes. Uh, okay. It's very rare for a committee to vote on a bill the night that they hear it, and especially two of such high um, attention they're not going to make a decision right away. Mm-hmm. And I think also there are a number of bills. I think there's there's 10 or more um, dealing with ways to address limitations on breweries. Um, so the two that are kind of getting most people talking are the two extremes, right? Get rid of all of it, all of the restrictions, and go back to where we used to be. Um, except for except for Guinness. We'll let Guinness yeah. still stay, but everyone else gets rolled back. <laughs> this seems to be the hottest button issue in so many circles, at least the people that I know in the circles that, that I sort of am familiar with. Is Are, are you surprised as a, as a reporter who's covered the house, covered Annapolis now for, for a few years? I mean, this thing has, is hugely, hugely popular. Yeah, I think um, there are a lot of measures that will attract hundreds of people to testify. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of times 
it's it's an on a topic not as universal as beer i guess um you know if you like guns or don't like guns you all probably still like beer um <laughs> but um and you know the people who care about gun issues or who, or who care about education issues or who care about health care issues also care about beer issues That's where those true. other people are maybe a little siloed right. um it just seems to be sweeping the nation it's also um Frederick is particular in this in that we are kind of a little bit of an epicenter for the craft beer industry in the state. We have a good chunk of all the licenses that have been issued in the state. We've got, you know, the farm brewery. We've got the the flying dog. We have the restaurants, the small brewery tap rooms. So Frederick specifically kind of has something from every column. And so you have a lot of people here interested in what happens with these bills. Well, we will be interested to see how it turns out. And yeah, and Kelsey just tweeted she's she's been in hearings for more than four hours now, so they're still going strong. It seems. God knows we could need a beer right now. <laughs> and I'm sure she could too, uh, <laughs> sitting there. So other things happened this week. Other things did which, happen, um, which might be a surprise to some. And we wanted to lead off with the governor. Um, which I, I, I think that this is very interesting. Uh, Governor Larry Hogan remains popular, but fewer Marylanders are planning to vote for him. This is according to a new poll. Can you tell us? What's going on with this? Because he, I thought everybody loved him. <laughs> well, people do still like the governor. So they just don't want to vote for the him. The Goucher poll, which comes out twice a year, um, has released uh, three new sets of data this week. They did new data on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So we have a lot to get through. A lot of data. Um, but on the first day, they put out the governor's approval ratings. And they're, um, it, it, it's nice to look at the Goucher poll because they've been tracking the governor's approval ratings since he took office in October of 2015. Mm-hmm. So his approval rating is still quite high, 61%, when you consider that he's a Republican governor in a very Democratic state. Mm-hmm. Um that's essentially the same as it was before um, the last time they asked in September. It was 62% then. What has really changed is um, the governor's, the number of people who likely voters who are saying that they would definitely or are leaning toward voting for the governor in November. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, about 47% of likely voters from all parties um, said that. Mm-hmm. And that's down a lot from last year when that question was asked, um, when it was 57%. <coughs> so um, last year during session, when we had this conversation about this same poll, um, you had a lot of Democrats saying that they were going to definitely or they were leaning towards voting for Larry Hogan. You're seeing that number go down. There's a lot of reasons for that. There's real Democratic candidates now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a blue wave election. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had Democratic control in Washington, which is having an effect on Larry Hogan. Um, so you're going to see that number probably continue to fall, I would think. There were some other findings, from what I understand. Uh, among them, President Donald Trump isn't uh, is that popular, but he's double digits ahead of Congress. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the president has a 27% approval rating among all Marylanders. Congress, on the other hand, has an 11% approval rating. <laughs> 11%? Has it ever been that low? Do we know? It's actually That's actually up quite a bit. <laughs> so it has nothing to do with the fact that it's uh, Republican controlled in september we saw the approval rating for congress at eight percent um the highest it's been in recent years was 21 but it's usually in that uh, single digit range and (laughs) wow and voters do say that their opinions of the president will affect their votes in maryland in 2018 
Yeah. So uh, the Goucher poll asked what, um, how, how much people uh, felt issues in Washington would affect their vote here in Maryland. And so um, 38% of people said their views about Donald Trump would influence their vote for governor some or a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. So you do have this kind of chunk of the electorate who um, feel that, um, you know, Governor Hogan should do more to distance himself um, from the president. But um, I'm trying to grab that really quick. Um, about half of people in Maryland, 47% of people Maryland in Maryland said that they felt that Hogan had distanced himself quote, about the right amount from Donald Trump. Um, But you do have 22% who said he'd done too little as a Republican governor to kind of distance himself from the policies of the Trump administration. So those people are obviously going to be heavily influenced in the way that they vote. Do you think polls have as much cachet as they did, we'll say, 10, 20 years ago? Because of the last presidential election, a lot of polls kind of didn't help out what everybody thought was going to happen. Yeah, I think um, that that there was a lot of talk about that in Annapolis this week, and um, Malia Cromer, the director of the Goucher poll, was in Annapolis, and you know she kind of was just underscoring um, the steps that they take mm-hmm. to get good and accurate results in their polling. Um, but overall, I think people approach them with a little bit more skepticism. Yeah. I would like to pull this room. Uh, what do you think of Colin as host of In Session? Oh, obviously the best. <laughs> Obviously, because you said that so strongly, so strong. strongly agree, um, <laughs> strongly agree. So yeah. the polls are going to be a lot of what we talk about uh, this week, it appears. Um, also, more Marylanders approve of the job the General Assembly is doing uh, than those who disapprove. More Maryland, more Marylanders are approving. <laughs> so what, what happened with this? This was another uh, Goucher poll. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the General Assembly has a 42 percent approval rating, um, which is more than the people who disapprove. And that's because a lot of people don't have an opinion. Oh, really? Um, yeah. It's, you know, not everybody is, is up on their General Assembly as you and I. But millions so. of people listen to this podcast. I thought they all <laughs> knew about the General Assembly. So people like the job that the General Assembly is doing. And when I when I spoke with Malia about approval ratings for bodies, one thing with um, Congress, as she noted, it's very hard for um, bodies to poll highly. So even though Congress polled so poorly um, in in this Goucher poll, for example, um, Chris Van Hollen and Ben Cardin, our senators polled pretty high. Mm -hmm. And so the General Assembly has a 42 percent approval rating. That's pretty good. Um, but the thing that struck me is that even though people approve of what they're doing, 75% of people would support term limits that would lead to most of the General Assembly getting the boot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's three out of every four people. So, yeah, yeah, they wow. they want term limits. So oh. term limits are very popular. Um, we, you know, we've seen them passed in a couple of... Um, counties in the past couple of years, Montgomery County passed term limits that are taking effect, which is why you see such huge upheaval in Montgomery County government this year, because um, everyone's termed out. Is that on the radar at all on a state level right now? Is, might that happen? So Governor Hogan has a term limits bill, um, and you know I've written in the past about bills that Delegate David Vote has had that would have established term limits in the state. The reality is... Um, I hope uh, they're not going to vote for it. (laughs) (laughs) It's Um, a pretty simple reality. I think it's let me let me find it. It's a it's a really small number of members who 
Um, only four members in the 47-person Senate have less than two year, two terms of legislative service. So um, I don't know. You'll get a yay vote from four people, maybe. <laughs> um, uh, this, this poll also included opinions about women in politics, from what I understand as well. Yeah, so the poll asked a really interesting question. Um, I think it's kind of of the moment. And they asked... Um, if more women were elected to serve in state government, if Maryland would be governed better, worse, or the same. And we have a tie. 47% of people said the state would be governed better, and 47% said they would make no difference. Only 3% of people who I'd like to hunt down said it would be worse. <laughs> we know who you are. We can find you. Danielle is intrepid. No, she doesn't no. stop until she she finds what she wants. Wow, well, that's interesting. Yeah, and there was a gender gap in the way that that question was answered. Answered, fifty eight percent of women said that it'd be better if women were in charge, <laughs> <laughs> and fifty six percent of men said it would make no difference. Were you polled? Did they ask you any of these questions? Uh, I don't get polled because I'm not registered to a political party. Ah. So they they never even call me. So I would I would have to decline anyhow. But I never even get the call. I'd vote for you. Danielle, Thanks. if you wanted to run for I got, anything. I got one vote in last year's presidential election by somebody in this office. That's great. <laughs> I'm on my way. I bet it was Graham. No. No? Okay. <laughs> it was me, actually. It wasn't so, you either. Oh, well. <laughs> that was my best guess. Uh, and, and finally, on the polling front, uh, there was a poll about the Democratic candidates. Um, and I think this is... This is sort of interesting as well. Can you tell us a little about this? Yeah, so we're getting closer and closer to the uh, primary election in June. And so the Goucher poll asked um, what people thought of each of the Democratic candidates. And so we had three people who kind of stood out um, from the crowd, and that was uh, Prince George's County Executive Rushern Baker, Baltimore County Executive Kevin Kamenetz, and the formal, former NAACP president, Ben Jealous. Um, Baker had the highest uh, favorability rating at 30%, um, but all of the candidates, himself included, uh, suffer from people not really knowing who they are yet. So even though Baker had the highest approval rating, 59% of people, 59% of likely Democratic voters said they didn't yet have an opinion of him. Um, ben Jealous had a 28% approval rating and Kevin Kamenetz was at 22%. And somehow Chelsea Manning got involved in all this? Yeah, so um, the poll was the first to ask um, what uh, people thought about a, a Democratic primary in the U.S. Senate race. So Ben Cardin is up for re-election. Um, he has served in the Senate, um, or he's served in, this would be his uh, third term that he's seeking. Um, and... Uh, recently announced that Chelsea Manning was planning to run against him. Chelsea Manning is, of course, the um, transgender Maryland woman who was convicted of espionage mm -hmm. um, for leaking thousands of documents to WikiLeaks. Um, she received a commuted sentence and is running to the left of Ben Cardin in this race. Um, Cardin registered strong favorability ratings. 64% uh, have a favorable opinion of him. When asked how they would vote if the election were held today, 61% of people said they would vote for Ben Cardin and 17% said they would vote for Manning. Hmm. So a whole lot of information this week regarding or coming from polls. Is this going to be the lots of polls? Is this going to be sort of the last big barrage of polls that we hear about? Oh, definitely not. No? So I mean, mm. you have especially in election years, you have um, you know the Washington Post, the Baltimore Sun creating their own polling information, um, and then you're going to have all of the individual candidates running po polls in the background. 
they'll release them when they like what they say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you'll have some other like third party polling coming in potentially. Are we going to poll the Frederick News Post poll? We've attempted polling in the past. Yeah. We might do it again in the future. We'll see. How does that work out? What do we do? We just send people. It's it's all, it, it's, a, it's all very scientific and you have mm. to reach like if you don't reach enough people then you're not a, or your um, your weighted sample doesn't match your population well enough. You kind of have to scrap it all. You lost me at scientific. So, <laughs> um, so I, I also Kelsey, although she's not here to represent herself in a court of law on this podcast, um, she wrote about opioid uh, opioid stuff this week. And I know that we've talked about opi- opioids a lot in the past. It's easy for you to say. Um, what did she have to say? What happened this week? There's a bill, right? Yeah. And it's not Bill Green. Yes. <laughs> So uh, another one of the other questions that's in the Goucher poll, they do try to get on get in on some other things is they did ask people um, if they had personally known someone who has been addicted to opioids. And so 52 percent of people in the state said that they knew someone personally, which is a big number. Um, 82 percent view it as a major problem. 11 percent said it was a minor problem. 81 percent of people think that um, those struggling with addiction deserve medical treatment to address it. And only 5 percent of people said they thought people could overcome addiction addiction um, easily on their own. So Kelsey wrote a story this week that deals with um, addiction possibly at the starting point. So this is a bill that would require um, doctors who prescribe pain medication to have a discussion with their client at the time of um, the prescription about the, you know, addictiveness of what they're receiving, about dosing, about um, various factors that could keep people from abusing them in the first place Hmm. so opioids or becoming dependent on them you know for severe pain and this is still something that that a lot of people i mean this this is an issue in an epidemic as they say that that's not going to go anywhere anytime soon it appears yeah so and and part of this bill actually asks it requires doctors to ask their patients if they would want an alternative treatment Hmm. um so that kind of um, gets into, I don't, I don't, yeah, it, yeah. It, it gets into issues of letting people kind of drive their own healthcare mm-hmm. coverage or have a discussion with your doctor about whether or not you feel addiction might be a problem in your family. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, and then we'll keep an eye on that. That just got introduced this week. Um, it had a hearing this week, so okay. we'll, we'll wait and hear how that vote goes. Um, you used the phrase fever pitch in a lead Did this I? week. And, and I, <laughs> I don't whenever remember. that happens, you have to discuss it. Uh, the debate over Russian influence on American mm. elections reached a fever pitch in For the Russia. Maryland Senate on Wednesday. What happened? How did it get so fever pitch-like? Well, so this is an issue that's been kind of bouncing around the Senate for a little while now. It is, um, quote, a very simple bill, which we know lawmakers like to say a lot about their (laughs) various measures. But this was a bill that really, um, it originally passed out of its committee with a, by an 11 to zero vote, everyone in favor. Um, But basically, it would establish rules that international election observers would have to abide by if they come into Maryland polling places. Maryland, we're nice and close to Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. has people f- come from all over the world to learn more about our democracy, our voting systems, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So when they want to see democracy in action, the State Department sends them to us and we welcome them. 
Um, the bill at issue would have um, established kind of uniform rules in law and um, created a background check process that um, would all be handled by the Maryland State Board of Elections. But what really happened is that this kind of brought attention to the fact that there are international election observers in our polling places all the time and um, got the question started about international interference and Russian interference with American elections. Um, This was really started uh, by the Republican leadership in the Senate who started asking questions about why the bill was necessary um, and, uh, you know, whether or not we should even have international observers in our polling places, given how things are at this point in time. Um, There was... uh, an email that went out from the state Republican party, a petition that was created um, saying that uh, Maryland Democrats were inviting Russians into polling places and that um, this bill needed to be defeated. So um, that was kind of a running issue for a while and Mm -hmm. the bill got sent back to committee so the committee could consider amendments. Then it came back to the floor and then it was debated on the floor and then it was, Um, you know, special ordered, which means that the debate just continues into the next day. And that kind of kept happening repeatedly. And then on um, someday this week, Wednesday, Wednesday, it was Wednesday. (laughs) Yes. On Wednesday, uh, the Senate president um, stepped down from the rostrum and took his seat in the chamber. And at first, everyone thought that was because there was a bill um, that established um, mandated funding for head start in the state of Maryland. And that bill was being named after Senator Ulysses Curry, who's in his last term. And um, it's kind of a thing to honor him. So everyone thought the Senate president got down to take part in that vote and to, you know, click his green button and, and have a Sounds moment. Yes. Um, so that vote happened. And then the Senate president stayed on the floor. And then this bill came up. And then he got up first to speak. And he read very extensively from a Washington Post column. I think it was called Vladimir's Useful Idiots. Um, and it was about how how easily, if you read the indictments um, from last week about the Russians who were charged relating to interference in the um, 2016 election through social media, it talks about how they exploited all sides of the political spectrum and created these fake groups mm-hmm. and just did everything they could to create as much chaos and discord among the American public. And um, the Senate president read that story for a long time. Um, he talked about, you know, not not wanting to see the bill come back. He wanted it to go to committee again. He said, I hope it doesn't rise again anytime in the near future. Yeah, and he said, quote, I don't want these people in the room. Yeah, he said he, said he wants to limit um, those allowed in Maryland polling places to, quote, bona fide Marylanders. Um, you know, he's been, he's a big um, supporter of, of former Secretary Hillary Clinton, um, and he's... Um, been deeply troubled by the um, interference in the election or the alleged interference in the election. And um, the thing is, the thing that was very interesting is that this was a bill sponsored by a Democrat that had full committee approval. Mm. And he just said, um, you know, the Senate the senator who sponsored the bill, Cheryl Kagan, she looked gobsmacked when the Senate president kind of stood up and gave like a six-minute speech against her measure. She was not expecting that, she said. And Mm. she characterized it as a good government bill that just would have put actually more security measures in place. Um, 
in the end, there are all these international agreements that govern whether or not we allow um, international election observers to come into our polling places. Mm -hmm. And so the Maryland State Board of Elections said that they would um, continue to abide by those international agreements. And um, that and Senator Kagan said that the board was going to implement the security measures that were included in the bill through policy rather than through statute. Wow, that's a lot. It's a lot. That's a lot. A lot and of Russia. A lot of Russia. In Maryland, <laughs> of all places, yes. too. In Maryland. Um, and that that leaves us with only one thing left. The best thing in the Frederick News Post every week. Where is our music? <laughs> That was great. That was great. The Political Notes column. And this week, leading off the Political Notes column, Mr. John Delaney. He's got some big ideas for America, does he not? Yeah, from Russia to from Russia to Britain. Yeah, with love. <laughs> this uh, is just... Uh, Colin, have you ever watched Question Time with the Prime Minister? Please tell me you have. It's my favorite thing on TV. No, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> what, okay. what is that? Can you explain? So that? once a week, the, the British Prime Minister goes to the floor of the House of Commons, and there's Question Time. And they are able to ask for half an hour all the questions they want to ask. And That's it's great. Um, like, do you like Cheetos? It's lovely. Um, I, it's just great TV. It's, you know, there's a lot of har, 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 and cheering and yelling and booing. And it's fantastic. Um, obviously, I fell in love with this in college when I would come home from the bars. And it would be on C-SPAN. And I would watch it late at night alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you become a political reporter, kids. If so, you ever wanted to know, John Delaney is also a fan of Question Time, and he would like to bring it to America uh, if he's elected president. And he has been actually saying this as a campaign promise as he's been touring Iowa over the past week. So he says um, it's a move to radical transparency that that would put the president on the floor of the House of Representatives and force him to answer questions, force him to work through debates from all sides of the aisle. Mm-hmm. And actually drill down to issues and find results. Wow. So uh, John Delaney's taken the world by storm. Or Iowa. He's been to 41 <laughs> of the 99 states, he said this week. 41 of oh, the 41 ni- of the 99 counties. We have 99 states now. <laughs> wow. Is he going to make it to all 99 counties? Um, He says he's working on it, yeah. It reminds me of The Good Wife when Peter Florek was campaigning in Iowa. Everybody should watch The Good Wife. That's all I'm going to say about that. What's this about the World Cup? Oh, yeah. I wrote about so many foreign countries this week. Yes. Yeah. Mexico, Canada, all the countries. All of the countries. <laughs> <laughs> so Senator Chris Van Hollen signed on to a letter today or this week um, to President Trump asking him to not deal with NAFTA, but to deal with FIFA. Yeah. Da-da-da. I see what you did. Um, thank you. Uh, (laughs) This is in regard to the United 26 bid, which is being undertaken by a host committee that would like to see the FIFA World Cup in 2026 hosted um, jointly by the United States, Mexico, and Canada. There are 25 American cities under consideration, including Baltimore and D.C. Yeah. 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 I'd pay top dollar for that. Yeah. Graham and I are going to go. Football. Football. <laughs> Football. Um, Jamie Raskin this week uh, mm. met with uh, hundreds of Montgomery County High School students who left their classes in March to Washington as well. Uh, and he's asking people to contribute $20 uh, per seat to pay for a bus. 
Yeah, so um, we've seen these spontaneous walkouts of, of school children, high school school students um, throughout the country kind of um, to advocate for gun control. Um, and there were hundreds, uh, more than 800, I believe, students who left Montgomery County schools this week, um, hopped on Metro and then marched over to the Capitol where they were met by Senator Ra- or uh, Congressman Raskin. I'm still back in the Maryland Senate with him, um, met with Congressman Raskin, who who gave a speech and talked with them. Um, he is continuing to meet with students and advocates of gun control. Um, he's going to host um, a pre-rally to the March for Our Lives, which is being held on March 24th in Washington, D.C. The pre-rally is in Silver Spring. He's asking uh, people to come to that rally. They can t- hop on a bus from Silver Spring to D.C. if they want to go. Um, he's asking adults to pay 20 bucks per seat so that the kids can ride for free oh that's nice of him um i always ask you what's going to happen next week what you guys are looking forward to the most but uh there's actually one final thing from political notes that uh does reference next week it's talking about the deadline to file candidacies for the 2018 election that's on tuesday well, that is what I was going to mention for next week. So there we go. Firstly, it's my favorite day of the year. I share John Bon Jovi's I saw halfway your tweet. there. Yeah. Uh, Living on a prayer. Yes. That's the, not halfway there. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> that song. Yes. <laughs> so we're halfway through the gen. Oh. You got to stop at the right spot. Oh. Okay. Was that the right stop? Yeah, I felt okay. I felt like that was a good stop. Yeah, we did it. No one wants we to No one wants to hear us go farther. I think they did, but we are not Fergie. That, that's for the internet only. Yeah, we're not Fergie. Okay. Oh god. Okay. okay. So next week we're gonna talk to uh, we're gonna see all of the candidates for the 2016 primary election. 2018. 2018. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. uh, Tuesday at 9 p.m. is the deadline for people to register as candidates. If you want to be a candidate, you should go register. If you want to be involved, um, you can, you know, run for the county central committee. Um, Are you pumped? I'm pumped. We have a lot of candidates to get through. Um, You know, we wait for the candidate filing deadline to really kick it into high gear. And that's coming on Tuesday. And then we're going to have lots and lots of election coverage coming up. Anything else next week? Maybe uh, some beer news next week? No. Uh, I don't know if we'll have any results on the beer no, thing by next no week. We'll see. Okay. Yeah. All we have right. a couple more weeks before the cross before crossover day, and oh. that's when things are going to get very excited. We're working on a theme for crossover day. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Typically, I share crisscross on crossover day, but oh, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to ask you: you three days in Annapolis this week. What do you eat? Oh, yay. It was like the greatest thing that happens every session on the first hot day. We just skip lunch and we go have ice cream. Oh, so that's right. We did that. I tried new ice cream this year. It wasn't really my jam. Oh, bad, bad week. I know. Bad year. Yeah. Did you have any breadsticks by chance? No. No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> had, to, had, to, had to get that in. So, Danielle, uh, we really thank you for sticking around this yes. late on a Friday. I have nothing better to do. <laughs> we go watch Go watch uh, the House of Commons now after this. And we should go grab ourselves a beer <laughs> Yeah. after all of this. But thank you so much, Danielle E. Gaines. How can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, at Danielle E. Gaines. Yes, that's yeah. right. <laughs> you can email her at dgaines at newspost.com, correct? Uh, yes. That's right. All right. <laughs> thank you, Danielle. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Colin. Thanks, Colin.